Welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. Texas Tech officially has a date in December with Cal coming up next Saturday in the Independence Bowl. We'll talk about why this is a really good bowl matchup for a 6-6 six six team and just some god-awful timing, for, <laughs> quite honestly, for when this game will be played. But that's to be expected when you're 6-6. Six and six. Also, we got some portal news. Nothing out of the blue. There is a Big 12 player that has just announced he's hitting the portal. Apparently, he's tired of the coach sleeping with his mom. Um, and Texas Tech basketball loses a absolute heartbreaker at Butler in overtime. We'll talk about why it was an encouraging, an encouraging game for Texas Tech. And we'll go ahead and touch on the college football playoff. So Texas Tech football will be playing Cal in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, which it's a good matchup for some reasons. First off, this is a red-hot Cal team right now. This team has won three straight. They just beat a UCLA team who knocked off USC 33-7 to to clinch a bowl berth. Had to win three straight just to get there. Remind you of anyone uh, yeah, it's basically you and Amir, but they didn't play Texas at the very end of the season. This team is also going to be quite interesting because they got a quarterback. Uh, Fernando Mendoza. He did not look good against Utah. They only put up 14 points in that game. Had the bye week. This is actually the third quarterback that they've started this year, so they're much like you again. They put up 49 points in a one-point loss to USC. They got killed by Oregon. And then they put up 42 in a win against Washington State, 27 in a win against Stanford, and 33 in a win at UCLA. Now, Mendoza, I don't want to say that this kid's, or this guy's anything special right now. I mean, it's, you know, last time you played them, they had Aaron Rodgers. He's not Aaron Rodgers. But he's a redshirt freshman um, who has looked pretty good. I mean, since the bye week, he had two touchdowns, one pick against USC, no touchdowns, one pick against Oregon, two touchdowns, no picks against Washington State, three touchdowns and a pick against Stanford, and he had two touchdowns, two interceptions against UCLA. So for a redshirt freshman, this kid's a really good prospect for Cal. I think it's going to be a fun QB matchup. Hopefully with, what is it going to be, three weeks off for Baron Morden, three straight Saturdays without playing football for Baron Morden, his shoulder's a little bit better, and this could be a fun, fun quarterback matchup between two, two very young players, a sophomore and a freshman. The concern with this is we've also had a lot of guys hit the portal, so wide receiver room not a lot there we've lost miles price we've lost Jerram bradley which by the way uh Jerram bradley for all his talents he had i believe seven games this year where he had two or less catches two or less catches in seven games and now he won you the game against kansas he had some good performances for you but i don't think this is as massive of a loss as people think when you take a look at the wide receiver room for Texas Tech next year, it does hurt losing Miles Price to the portal. 
I he's not irreplaceable, but losing him and Xavier White running out of eligibility in those slot positions at the same time, I think is a tough one, quite honestly. So who's going to move into the slot next year? Dre McRae seems like a clear choice. And then it would seem that you have an open slot position. On the outside, you're going to have Coy Aiken, and you're going to have Micah Hudson. That's probably going to be your starting outside receivers. You got three guys who were redshirting this year. You're bringing in another three receivers as well, including Micah Hudson. It's it's going to be about it's. I don't think the wide receiver room is really going to be about who you can get in the portal. I think it's going to be about who you already have in the house. And we really didn't see any of these young offensive weapons this year. I mean, when you think back on it, Anquan Willis and Bryson Donnell out running back never got a shot. Really, you didn't see any of the freshmen. They all redshirted. Hopefully some of them get time in the bowl game at receiver. You obviously didn't play any freshmen O-lineman, you may have played some redshirt freshmen. You didn't have any young tight ends on the roster, really, other than Mason Tharp, and he's only considered young because he came in when Barron did. He's a junior, going to be a senior next year. It's going to be interesting what comes out on offense. The only young player, the only true freshman you really saw this year on offense was Jake Strong, your quarterback. And that was only because he was a third string forced in because of injury. But when you look on the defensive side of the football, you look at Chapman Lewis. You look at Ben Roberts. You looked at a data raid got some time. There was some promising things from your young defenders. And that's just Joey McGuire's recruiting class finally getting a chance to play. Now the question is, is it going to be the same on offense? And will these players fit the scheme that Zach Kitley wants to run? Because... In fairness to our receivers and the receivers that, and Zach Kitley as well, Zach Kitley likes to run with faster receivers. I mean, you look back at Western Kentucky, his top receiver was like some 5'8 kid who was just really fast. Matt Wells and the receivers that he brought in, he clearly had a type. He liked 6'5 possession receivers, didn't need to be that fast. You think back, Trey Cleveland, Loic Fungi. Um, obviously, Miles Price is an exception, but you know, Ezukama, TJ Vasher, he liked possession type receivers. That's not what that that's not what Kitley runs with. So it'll be interesting with these redshirt freshmen coming in and Micah Hudson coming in and maybe another freshman playing. How the receiver room looks. And by the way, yesterday two players got put on scholarship: Gino Garcia and Jordan Brown. Jordan Brown is a guy who didn't get many opportunities this past year, and I kind of want to see if he could play in the slot because he looked good in the opportunities that he did get. I mean, you think back to that game against Wyoming, he had a massive catch for you that really kept you alive in the game by getting you a first down. I'm excited to see this new crop of receivers. I think there is going to be some concern in the slot with Xavier White and Miles Price both leaving. And a guy, Nehemiah Martinez, who's also in the portal, who, quite frankly, could have gone the Xavier White route, started at slot receiver, moved to running back. I know he was listed on the depth chart as a receiver this year, but he was really a running back for you this year. And then moved back to slot receiver. He's gone, so you're not going to get that. But I still think, 
I don't know if wide receiver is going to be a priority in the portal. Now, if you can get one, that's great. But I think you got a lot of speedy receivers in-house that were freshmen that redshirted this past season that you're going to want to see a lot of. Now, the only thing wrong with this bowl game, and I kind of like it because you can get the season over with quicker and you can get straight to portal recruiting and have all your focus there. And you're going to need some O-linemen because you just lost Monroe Mills. And quite frankly, the O-line didn't look that good this year. But the bad thing with the timing of this is it is the same day that Tech has their last opponent in Power 5 basketball, their last P5 opponent in basketball, for about 20 days. And And really the only one they play in the entire month of December on the same day right before this game, and it's the same day as graduation in Lubbock. And to add to that, now all your early signees, Will Hammond, Micah Hudson, don't get the bowl practices, which I don't think is the biggest deal in the world. I don't think it's anything massive. It's not, I mean, these guys wouldn't be running with the ones and twos anyways, but it would be nice to get them some bowl practices, and you're not going to get that opportunity. However, if you're sitting at home just watching the game like I'm probably going to end up doing, you can go straight from watching Texas Tech basketball to Texas Tech football, and it's going to be from really 6 p.m. until midnight that <laughs> that these games are on. So there are things wrong with the schedule, but I think overall for a 6-6 six and six football team, you made out with a really really good bowl matchup at least you're playing a power five you're not having to go play at tcu stadium where you play every other year anyways until the scheduling matrix messed that up but i digress and you're not having to play a service academy and you're the primetime game on the first weekend of bowl games where people will be watching so i think overall it's a good bowl matchup for tex tech some bad things with the timing but I, I think it's fine. I think at 6-6, six and six, you can't complain too much. But before we go to basketball, we just got to take a look around the Big 12 and how their transfer portals are going. So A&M hired Kansas State OC Colin Klein, which, man, that is a blow. That That is an absolute blow for Kansas State. They also lost Will Howard. I kind of wonder if Will Howard's going to end up at A&M next year. But for Kansas State to lose their OC for the same position as A&M, by the way, the team that kept them out of the 1998 national title game, and Colin Klein is your former quarterback who went to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, boy, that is that has to hurt. That has to hurt. And I don't hate K-State, but Colin Klein is the really the only coach I felt outcoached Tim DeRuder this year. I think against Texas you were outmanned and you got no help on offense. But it is nice to see Colin Klein leave the Big 12. Um, not from a good for the Big 12 standpoint, but for a good for the t- Texas Tech standpoint. Because... Now, let's be real. Climbing, he's going to do fine with the change. I mean, he's worked through changes. He did that all the time at North Dakota State. 
However, you know that Kansas State fans are going to be mad when they just go hire an FCS coach. And the only name I have seen floated so far happens to be Matt Wells. In addition to that, Oklahoma State, Gunner Gundy, hitting the portal. Apparently, I, I mean, that's not a shock. They have a young kid. They, they're they losing Bowman. They have Rangel. He was probably going to be third string again next season. And quite frankly, I think Gunner just got tired of my, Mike Gundy sleeping with his mom. But that that's an old quote for from Mike Gundy. And the last story that I think that we need to touch on comes via our old friend Chris Walsh. So he's been having a bad day. Um, and I think that that would be an understatement. And it is actually related to a guy that Tech has offered. And stop me if you heard this before. He didn't get too many sacks at Syracuse last year as a D lineman. But uh, he has potential. Stop me if you've heard that before, Steve Linton. However, Leon Lowry. So if you remember, we talked about Chris Wash before. Um, he's not a fan of tech. He was heavily involved in the basketball program. Actually had client worked with clients, Tyler Shuck, Duran Bradley, both in the portal. Tyler Shuck's actually going to Louisville. So Tex Tech is completely rid of this. However, Leon Lowry Jr. was represented by him. Committed to Wisconsin. Then the next night, or the next day, the next morning, decommitted and reopened his recruitment. Wisconsin fans went after Chris Walsh. And there are now articles saying that they were done in by a fraudulent agent. Now, in the piece, and the funniest thing about this in the piece is that it says allegedly in the piece, but does not say allegedly in the headline. And Wisconsin fans have been digging into that. Uh, Lowry ended up tweeting out that he's going to be handling his recruitment on his own from now on. It looks like Chris Walsh is completely done. Um, I said he was dumb before. He may be so dumb that he finds himself in federal prison. But Leon Lowry, after doing... after tweeting that he was handling his recruitment himself his next tweet was blessed to earn an offer from texas tech football so what a story there what a story he'd become one of my favorite players if he commits to tech after canning chris wash but we got to move on to basketball now texas tech basketball they found some offense and they did this the notable thing was their five first plays ran straight through the paint. And now they did their thing on offense mainly because of six-man Chance McMillan going eight for ten from three. I mean, how often do you have a six-man put up 36 minutes in a game? But it all got squandered at the very end when you have a one-point lead. Pop Isaacs has travels it was a travel I'm not complaining about the call it was and then Butler of course gets an offensive rebound tosses it out hits a three pop completely redeems himself by hitting a shot with what one second left on a floater to go ahead and and send this game to overtime but the defense just completely falls apart in overtime I thought at the beginning of overtime when one of Butler's bigs 
fouled out. You may get some reprieve, but just did not work out that way for Texas Tech. Overall, I thought this was a really good game. The defense has to tighten up. And I mean, Butler outshot what they normally do for from three. They shot 44.4%. You shot 50% from three, 13 of 26. But free throws, getting to the line, was an issue for Tex Tech. They had 15 free throws across the game. Butler had 25. Yes, some of those came at the end in overtime. But Butler shot 76% from the stripe. You shot 66.7%. They got 11 offensive boards to your six. So the interesting thing about that is I think that you were beaten on the offensive glass. And by the way, I think Butler is a good basketball team. This isn't a this isn't a devastating loss. It sucks because we could have we could have added to our resume with a quad one win going into Big Twelve play, but you still have a really good opportunity to get to Big Twelve play eleven and two. So that's okay. However, the problem with te- that Texas Tech seems to be running into is what lineup do we play? Do we play with either Cambridge or Darian Williams? at the five and the other at the four and then run three guards out there? Or do we keep Warren Washington on the floor? And he got 26 minutes. I think that the issue is when you run with that small lineup, you're very lethal shooting from three. You really are. And I really like Cambridge and Wash and uh, Darian Williams. But I think that you are missing a lot when Warren Washington is out of the game from a defensive rim-protecting standpoint and ability to get boards. And now, he only got six boards this entire game. Your leading rebounder was actually Chance McMillan with seven while also putting up 24 points. But I still think having that size down low to help box out quells a lot of those offensive rebounds, and you run into that problem when you don't have that on the floor. So I think this is this is going to be a continuing theme for Texas Tech. Are you going to outdo people in the paint like you did to Washington? Or not Washington, Michigan. Sorry, another college football playoff team. Or are you going to try to play the game like you did against Butler, where it's three after three and you're trying to knock them down? And by the way, you still got in the paint. You still have guys that can get in the paint. I mean, Cambridge is an athlete as is Darian Williams. Those are two decently big bodies that are athletic enough to work their way in the paint and get points for you down low. Pop Isaacs had a lot of floaters that he hit this game, just by which aren't may not count as paint points, may, some do, but are getting down low, penetrating the perimeter. I think this is going to be something that Tech struggles with this season. What lineup do we play? Because I think you lose something defensively when Warren Washington isn't on the floor, but you gain a lot offensively when he isn't on the floor. So it's going to be a balancing act. I I still think, man, you talk about how this team is playing under a new coach and there's a lot of doom and gloom last year. There's a really good chance that we go 11-2 and into conference play. We play Omaha tonight. I'm sorry, you got to win that game. That should be a win. I think that the future of Texas Tech basketball looks really good. Give this guy an, an entire offseason to recruit, or entire season to recruit, offseason in the portal. It's going to look really good. But 
I still think this can be a tournament team. I don't think that this is a team that's going to be at the top of the Big 12. They're not going to be able to make that jump because I think that they're too in between on which lineups do they play. It's going to be a very competitive team in the Big 12, and there's been a lot of Big 12 teams looking good. But I still think Texas Tech's going to be caught in the middle a bit with some of these lineups against some tougher teams, especially when you're playing Hunter Dickinson, Dylan Disu, guys like that. I think that they're going to have to abandon that small lineup. Last but not least, well, kind of least, because it's the one thing that doesn't pertain to Texas Tech. We have got to talk about this college football playoff. So before I say what I'm going to say, any other year of the college football playoff, this Alabama team's in. Last year, Ohio State did basically the same thing and got left out, or and got in, that they did this year. Georgia, normally, off of this season, would have been in. However, this was not a normal season. You had three three undefeated P5 champs. Normally, you have one or two. It is an absolute joke that Florida State was left out of the playoff. I get it. They lost their quarterback. They also went 13-0, and after losing their quarterback, they went on the road to LSU or not LSU, Florida, won the game by two possessions, then beat one of the best offenses in the nation by two possessions, holding them to less than 10 points. And you're telling me that team doesn't deserve a chance? I get they lost their quarterback. I get their strength of schedule is bad. But they can't control the teams in their conference. They're in a power conference. They went and scheduled LSU who, by the way, their quarterback is likely going to win the Heisman. They scheduled LSU, beat the brakes off of them. Beat the brakes off of them. Beat them by more than Bama beat them. And then they went, won every game. Yes, they had some close calls, especially against Boston College. That was ugly. Alabama, just two weeks ago, not even two weeks ago, had a close call against an Auburn team needed a miracle to beat them, an Auburn team that just got destroyed at home by New Mexico State. I'm sorry, but it's clear when there are three undefeated P5 champs, and it is a bad system, Georgia probably deserves to be playing for a national title. So does Alabama. So does Ohio State, if this was a better system. But you got to let the three undefeated Power 5 champs in, and then it would move to, okay, Who's the one-loss Power 5 champs? Well, you have two of them, and Texas went to Alabama and beat them, so they should be in, and Alabama would be out. I mean, and I don't like all this criticism of, oh, well, we know they're not one of the five best teams, or four best teams. Oh, we know that they'd get blown out. Do you? Or people saying, oh, we don't want another TCU. Well, TCU won their semifinal, first off. Second off, Florida State's not last year's TCU. They have a way better defense than TCU had. And I'm sorry, where did the thought that Florida State's just going to get blown out come from? Because they just held one of the best offenses in the country to single digits on a neutral side game with everything on the line. And the crazy thing is they're using their, oh, well, their quarter, their offense looked terrible. Guys, they were on their third string and their second string quarterback 
who's a senior, is going to be back for the playoffs, and we still leave them out. I mean, come on. What are we doing here? Why are we leaving him out? What are we doing? I just do not... If you go 13-0 in a Power 5 conference, step up, schedule two SEC opponents away from home, you've done all you can. You've done all you can, and you deserve a chance to play for the college football playoff. You deserve a chance to play for the title, even if your quarterback goes down. I'm sorry. You don't take away from 99 other kids because one quarterback happened to get injured. It's just absolutely ridiculous to me. And I I mean, at some point, the results on the field have to matter. Why do we play these games? What's the point of playing these games if the committee doesn't value them? Why do we even play these games? Makes absolutely no sense to me. But that's going to do it for this one. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about Texas Tech against Omaha. We'll talk about Texas Tech versus Oral Roberts in basketball. By the way, the Lady Raiders are 10-0 in basketball, actually receiving votes in the AP poll right now. And uh, if you have time, go ahead and give this a five-star review. Subscribe. Um, Greatly appreciate it. It helps us grow the program. And moving forward on to bowl season, we'll we'll be talking about basketball. We'll be talking about what goes on into the portal. And Big 12 basketball seasons is now one month away.